Uh, if you got your Bible, turn to Acts chapter 10. Um, obviously, if you're here, you know this. I was away last Sunday morning. I didn't quit. I was, uh, I was at the, I was preaching at the last church I pastored. They had invited me back to preach for a special service, and so that's where I was. But I'm certainly glad to be back here today. And I know Aaron Wine did a great job teaching last week, uh, Acts chapter nine. And that records, you know, it was a very pivotal chapter in Acts, Acts 9 last week, because it records the, the conversion, a dramatic conversion of the Apostle Paul, who will dominate the latter half of the whole book of Acts. And it was quite, I mean, if you, if you didn't know the story already, as you, as you come to, if you're just reading Acts clean, you didn't know anything, that, that would be the last thing you expected to happen, for that man to be converted and then that man to be uh, the missionary uh, that he became of the gospel of Christ. Because, I mean, all you knew about him was he's the guy approving of the martyrdom of Christians. And it was a dramatic pivot in the book. Um, but interestingly, once we're told of, of Saul's uh, conversion in Acts 9, and, and as pivotal as he'll be for the remainder of the book, for just a little while longer, the focus turns back to Peter in Acts. Um, and that's what we're going to find in Acts chapter 10, which, which, just like last week, is an incredibly strategic chapter in the book. Um, in, in that, finally, in Acts 10, we see the gospel coming to the Gentiles. The gospel coming to the Gentiles. That's what I want us to think about this morning. That's the clear focus of this chapter in, in Acts. This is what has been anticipated in Acts since the very first chapter. Think about when we've mentioned this a few times, but remember again the final statement that Jesus made before his ascension in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where he told them, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. And here, here it is, in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And, and when we were in the first chapter, among other things, we said, that, that verse can sort of stand as like a table of contents in Acts. Uh, it, it tells you where the book is going. because and, and we've seen it play out that way. That in chapters 1 through 7, the gospel was taking root and the church was taking root there in Jerusalem. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. That's the first seven chapters. But then because of persecution, the martyrdom of Stephen, Stephen persecution that, that grew out of that, it pushed it pushed the believers outside of Jerusalem. The, the, the apostles stayed there. But the, many of the rest of the church fled northward. Where? Into Judea. And the other, rest of Judea and Samaria. And the gospel went with them there. Think about Philip and the Ethiopian unit. I mean, it's all in, all in Judea. So in chapters 8 and 9, that's where it is. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria. And then you come to chapter 10 with, with uh, the story of Cornelius and the gospel is going to come to the Gentiles, or as Acts 1.8 says, to the end of the earth. Now, uh, that may sound funny to say that what it means, you, you read Acts, and yeah, it's coming to the Gentiles here, but Acts 1.8 says it's going to go to the end of the earth. How do we know this is the fulfillment of that? The coming to the Gentiles is the coming to the end of the earth. Well, don't take it super literally. You see Paul using this, this kind of language into the earth, into the whole world to, to describe the gospel finally 
spilling the banks of the Jews and going to the, the, the rest of the nations of the Gentiles. You see him say things like in Colossians 1.6, talking about the gospel which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing. Well, not literally. It hasn't gotten to everybody yet, right? But he can still say in some, in some sense it's gone into the whole world and bearing fruit. That's Colossians 1.6. Later in that same chapter he says, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven. Well, in what sense has, can Paul honestly say in Colossians that the gospel has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven? I think he's not meaning that super precisely, literally, but in the, in the metaphorical sense that it has gone to all the nations of the Gentiles. The gospel is for all the nations. It's gone to the Gentiles. So he can say that it's already been proclaimed in some sense in all creation of heaven, but still say, like he does in Romans 15, 20, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ has not already been named. So in some sense, it's gone to the whole world in the sense that it's not just for the Jews. It's for the Gentiles as well. But we still need to take it where it hasn't gone yet. That's what we see in Acts 10, though. That Acts 10 is this beginning point where it has now gone beyond the Jews and it's coming to the Gentiles. And it's an important chapter, Acts 10, in understanding the unfolding of and the implications of the gospel of salvation in Christ. And I think there's a lot of clarity given here in this shift from Jews only to the Gentiles. And it's going to emphasize what is necessary for any person, Jew or Gentile, to be saved in Christ, by Christ. It's going to revolve around two different visions. One given, uh, given to two different men. One given to a man named Cornelius and also to Peter. Uh, Cornelius is going to be given a, a simple vision to say, hey, go, go fetch Peter. <laughs> and then Peter is going to be given a vision not once, not twice, but three times. A much more complicated uh, vision that he couldn't immediately comprehend until the men showed up from Cornelius to be fetched. <laughs> this is a great gospel clarifying chapter um as as well as a great chapter just showing how god was for the first time bringing it about in its fullness in the world not in its accomplishment but in, in its application it's a simple chapter and i love the it's just a testament to the graciousness of god that the most important things in the bible are the absolute simplest Right? This is not a complicated chapter. And it, the message of it is, is so simple and so to the point and, and how good of God to make the most important things that way. All right, let's read the passage and then we'll see what it has to teach us. Acts chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with, his, with all his household gave alms generously to the people, prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius, and he stared at him in terror. <laughs> Angels are apparently terrifying. And said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now, send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging 
with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him, and having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry uh, for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you're looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. The next day he went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter, lifting him up, said, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then, why you sent for me? And Cornelius says, four days ago, about this hour, I was praying at my house, the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered. Before God, send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. And he is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all you have been commanded by the Lord. That's a sweet verse. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation. Anyone who fears him and does what is right and is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. 
He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him up on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as his witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach, the, preach to the people and testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. And to him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. Let's pray. Father, this is uh, your precious word. And uh, it, we confess to you as we, as we come to it, our belief in what it teaches about itself. It, this is, this is uh, your holy inspired Inerrant word, sufficient, clear, authoritative, necessary word. And we simply ask you, as we come today, to give us eyes to see the truth here. Give us minds to understand it. Give us hearts to care and to embrace and love this truth we see. And give us wills to obey whatever it leads us to do however it leads us to respond. Please give me help. I need to teach and give us all the ears to hear. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, like I said, this is a great chapter. And as we look at it more closely and think about it more carefully, here's how I want us to, I want us to see three things in the story. Uh, three, three simple things. First, I want to think about Cornelius' vision. Who was Cornelius? Uh, what is important about how he's described here? What's the significance of the vision that he received? Let's think about that. And then I want us to think about Peter's vision. Uh, which you saw, as we read, was much more elaborate than the one uh, Cornelius received, and one that he saw three times. What did it mean? And then finally, just think about Peter's gospel that he shared at the end of the chapter. Like I said, it's not a complicated chapter. It's pretty straight to the point. So let's begin thinking about the gospel coming to the Gentiles. Let's think first about the man Cornelius and the vision that he received from the Lord. So if you remember from the last chapter, chapter 9, when Aaron was teaching, You'll remember maybe a, a girl named Tabitha, or her more memorable name, Dorcas. Um, and remember that she died, and that the Lord raised her from the dead through Peter. And the only reason I mention that is just to say that that took place in a town called Joppa, J-O-P-P-A. They were in Joppa. And Peter spent several days there after he, uh, she had been raised from the dead. And when chapter 10 begins, that's where... Peter is. He's still in Joppa um, with some people there after uh, Tabitha had been raised from the dead. Well, so he's in Joppa, about 30 miles or so, about 30 miles up the coast of the Mediterranean Sea in a town called Caesarea. That's where Cornelius was. Who was he? Who was Cornelius? Uh, well, the text tells us that he was a Roman soldier. More specifically than that, he was a centurion of the Italian cohort. What, what was that? Well, 
A centurion, as the name implies, was a commander of over at least 100 men. All right? So he's a higher-ranking um, Roman soldier. And from that, just from historical records, we know that a centurion or a higher-ranking officer like that would have made much more money than an ordinary soldier, perhaps as much as five times as much as a regular soldier. So from the outset, from what we're told about Cornelius, by every indication, he was a prominent and wealthy man. But the passage tells us even more, uh, that things that are important to the story. So look at, look at verse 2 again. It says he was a, a devout man who feared God. That's, a, that's an important description right there. We'll say more about that in just a minute. He feared God along with his whole household. He gave alms generously, meaning he, he gave to the poor. Prayed continually. Um, and, and you'll, you'll see, we'll, we'll talk about it in just a minute. But when it says he prayed continually, at the very least, that means he prayed as was the Jewish custom at certain hours of the day, um, which is a good practice for us to do as well. So anyway, that, what you see there in verse 2 is not the kind of description you might expect of a Roman soldier. Um, he was quite a man. But like I said, he's described there in verse 2 as a God-fearer or one who feared God. That, that's, him, that's an important designation of who he was because it tells us that there's, there's good reason to believe that at some point he had come into contact with Judaism, with the Jewish scriptures and the Jewish uh, religion. And not that he had just come in contact with it, but in some measure was, was following the Jewish practice of the faith, of the Jewish religion. He, he, he's, not a, he's not a convert to Judaism, Right? I mean, he, 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 hence, he's not called a Jew. He's not a Jew, um, but he is a God-fearer. In fact, if you look down in verse 22 again, remember it says in verse 22 that he was an upright and God-fearing man, and specifically as a result of that, he is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation. So he was still a Gentile, but he was one who had come to believe the Scriptures, at least wanted to practice the faith laid out in the Old Testament in, in some way, practicing that faith, but not officially a convert. He wasn't circumcised, so he wasn't a Jew, but he probably attended a synagogue. Uh, and, but, if he, but if he went to the temple, uh, he could only go into the outer court of the Gentiles. Just for context, that outer court is where Jesus turned over the money changers and all of that. That's as far as he could go in the temple. And we're, we're told that he, he prayed at specific hours of the day. I just mentioned that. The Jewish custom was to pray three times a day, third, sixth, and ninth hours of the day. That's nine, noon, and three. Um, and he gave alms to the poor. And he was serious about it. He loved God. And from all outward appearances, he was a good man. He was a good person. And you'd think he was all right. He was well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation. You would think he was all right. And there are many people who would believe that. I'm not saying explicitly you believe that. Implicitly you might be tempted to believe that. And there are a lot of people in our world that believe that. That as long as you are sincere in your faith, whatever that faith is, right? That as long as you sincerely hold to it and you try to be a, good person and you try to you try to do good to other people that you're okay that 
that is a prevailing, that's, a, that's the prevailing air we breathe in our world. You, especially if you, if you go onto, onto our campus here in Auburn, or if you go out of the Bible Belt, that's the air that is breathed. It doesn't, I mean, whatever it, whatever it is that you do, as long as you do it sincerely and you try to be a good person and do good to other people, you're okay. That's part of the difficulty of sharing the gospel with somebody, the gospel of salvation, because nobody perceives that they are lost. Right? Because I'm good. I, I, I try to be good. I try to do good to people. I feel like I'm a pretty good person. But is, it, is that what we learn in this passage? I think it clearly sh- shows us in a very convincing way precisely the opposite. That that's not what we see in this passage. Cornelius was a, was a good man, outwardly speaking. Um, he feared God. We're told that twice. He feared God. And he didn't just fear it in his heart and mind. He tried to display it in his actions. He prayed and he, he gave to the poor. But in, in many ways, it, it, it seems like Cornelius is at the very least the same kind of man that Paul describes Jew, the way Paul describes Jews in Romans 10 2 when he says about Jews I bear them witness they have a zeal for God but not according to knowledge right they, 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 that Cornelius loved God and, and loved him zealously but his zeal was still lacking full knowledge and understanding of the very God of his professed devotion and hence, as you, keep, as you keep reading the story, it is God himself who gives Cornelius a vision, telling him to send for Peter so that Peter could tell him about Christ. See? Well, that goes to show you that for one who desires to know God uh, and for that to happen, God will ensure the gospel gets to that person. He will send someone. And this kind of thing is happening all the time, all the time, all over the world in places where the gospel is not, God will, God will give a, a dream to someone. Someone's going to come. Someone's going to come. You need to listen to what they say. Right? It's not that the dream saved them, but the dream set them up. The gospel's coming. Listen. The gospel must be heard and must be expressly believed in for someone to be saved. Right? But God works in ways that we don't always see. And he did it here for Cornelius before Peter ever came. And P- or even Cornelius thought he was a good man. God let him know, you need something more. You need the gospel. There's somebody close by that has it. Go get him. Okay? But God made himself clear in that vision that it's not enough to be devout. It's not enough to be a good person. It's not enough to pray. And pray a lot. I mean... Cornelius prayed a lot compared to how much you and I pray. Three hours a day. At three hours a day, he, he probably physically went somewhere for hours of prayer. I mean, he prayed a lot. It's not enough to be generous and give your money away to the poor. As good as all of those things are, and as appropriate and even commendable as they are to a follower of Christ. As a fruit and a consequence of our eternal life. They are all pitifully tragic and insufficient as a foundation to build our hope before God. It's not enough. God himself tells him that in this, in this 
vision. Jesus said in John 14, 6, we know it well. I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus is the only way. No one will be saved by any efforts we give to merit ourselves before God. Salvation is found in those who embrace and trust the perfect life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, given as a substitute for everyone who would ever repent and believe. So Cornelius was a good man, but God knew it wasn't enough. He didn't tell him to quit giving alms. He didn't tell him to quit praying. In fact, it was in answer to his praying. We're told specifically. <laughs> what does he say in verse 4? Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. It doesn't tell... Perhaps he was praying that God would show him more. Yeah, it was in answer to his prayers that the vision came. Go get Peter. He knows something you need to know. And that brings us to Peter again and the vision that he received. So Cornelius had sent men to find Peter in obedience to what the Lord had said. 30 or so miles down the coast or up the coast, uh, was Peter in, in the town of Joppa. And uh, Peter needed to be prepared for what God was going to ask him to do. So the Lord sent him a vision as well. We see that described in verses 9 through 15. Let's look at that again. Uh, yo, 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 yo. Well, I don't have it. Just look in your Bible. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. So, he, see, Peter is praying at the same hours that Cornelius is praying. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat, but while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is, un is common or unclean. And, the vo and a voice, well, let's just stop right there. Now let's read verse 15. The voice came to him a second time, What God has made clean, do not call common. Happened three times. So um, that seems weird. It seems like a weirder vision than go get Peter. <laughs> And uh, heaven open, sheet coming down, all kinds of animals on it, kill and eat. Kill and eat. Uh, yeah, Cornelius' vision was much simpler. Uh, but Peter receives this vision three times. And he's really uh, not bothered, but just unsettled by it. Because uh, the, the most striking aspect of the vision, and, and, and the key to understanding the vision is that each time the Lord gives this vision, it's, it's like I said, he said, kill and eat. Eat all that you see on this sheet. And Peter is supremely confused by this. He's confused because the, the animals he saw on the sheet are, are animals that would have been, he would have been forbidden by Old Testament law that God himself gave to eat. Not just foods he didn't like, not just food he wasn't fond of, foods divinely prohibited. In scripture, And now here's the same God who prohibited it saying, kill it and eat it. God is telling him to eat what God had told him not to eat. And so Peter didn't want to 
eat anything that God had declared unclean in the Old Testament. But after the Lord gave him this vision three times, it's unmistakable that, that that's what the Lord was telling him to do, but he didn't understand it. You know, there's two ways, at least, to be confused about something. One is that you, because you don't understand what someone is saying. The other is because you understand precisely what someone is saying. And you don't, it just doesn't make sense to you. That's Peter here. It says in verse 17 that he was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision might mean. And that, as, at, at that very moment, he sees, as he's pondering this, he sees the men coming that Cornelius had sent. And the Holy Spirit was about to reveal to Peter the larger meaning of the vision. You see, remember that, that Cornelius was a Gentile. He was a God-fearer, yes. I mean, he prayed and he gave alms. But he wasn't a Jew. He was a Gentile. He, he outwardly associated with Jewish faith and practices, but still very much a Gentile. And the men uh, sent to Peter to fetch him were Gentiles. Jews were forbidden. He says so. Peter says so. Jews were forbidden to intermingle with and associate with Gentiles. Just, just the same way that many of those animals that on that sheet, he would have been forbidden to eat. Gentiles were unclean, just like many of those foods were unclean. So just like in the, in the vision that he wouldn't normally eat that, Peter, Peter wouldn't have normally, ordinarily associate with these men who were coming to get him. Well, what was the point of the vision now? It's, it's obvious to us now that, that just as the Lord had told him that these animals were no longer unclean, they're clean now, you may eat. He's also telling him the dividing wall between Jews and Gentiles has now been torn down and all, all could be made clean in Christ. So go down and talk with him, Peter. So Peter was seeing the point of the, of the vision. Jesus had opened the door of salvation for Gentiles as well as Jews. Salvation was through faith alone in Christ and no longer in keeping the law, not a matter of clean and unclean. The gospel is now available to all Jews and Gentiles. This passage has everything to do with us. Everything to do with us, right? This passage marks the first time where we see the gospel taken to the Gentiles to say the door of salvation in Christ was now open to Gentiles. Was now, it's to say it's now open to us. We are Cornelius in this passage, most of us in this room. We are Cornelius. Apart from Peter coming to us, if we have any zeal and love for God at all, it's without knowledge and understanding. But Jesus has opened the way for every kind of person. As Paul would say, Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. And that brings us to, quickly to the last point. That is the gospel that Peter preached. To those that were gathered when, when he showed up. So Peter talks to the men, they relay the, the vision that Cornelius had sent and um, had seen, and they sent him. So, and he agrees to go with them. I think it's funny, like, <laughs> we, we live in a different time, man. Th they were closer to him than we are to Montgomery right now, but it took them like a day to get there. It takes us like 45 minutes to get to <laughs> Montgomery. I don't know why I think of stuff like that, but I do. So Peter talks to the, Talks to the men, all right? and, and I find it instructive 
when he gets there. I always find it instructive in Scripture where we have examples in the Bible of one of the apostles sharing the gospel with someone else. Not, not just that they shared the gospel, but the gospel that they shared. Okay? And it's interesting to see because it shows us, I think it's what we have here, it's, it, it shows us what truths they felt important to share when they shared the gospel. So let's be reminded quickly about what Peter shares with them. It's not going to be on the screen. Just look at it in your Bible and, and think about the gospel that he preached. We see it beginning in verse 36. And he simply preaches Jesus to them. Uh, look at it. In verses 37 and 38, he focuses on the life of Jesus. Especially, specifically in verse 38. Huh? He appointed Jesus to Nazareth, with the whole, anointed with him with the Holy Spirit. He went about doing good, healing all. That's the life of Jesus. In verse 39... He focuses on the death of Jesus. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. In verse 40, it's the resurrection. God raised him up on the third day and made him to appear. And in verse 42, it's that Jesus is coming again. He commanded us to preach and testify. He is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. Jesus is the one, day, one who, who will one day judge the world. So it, 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 was, it was simple. Life, death, resurrection, return. And, and this is the gospel that he shared. Just, just know this. Paul would later say in Romans, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it, the gospel, is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. That, that when you are taught, having a spiritual conversation with someone on campus, in class, wherever, Arguments about other things only go so far. And they can go round and round and round and round and round and round forever. Right? But I promise you, you'll, you'll do more spiritual good if this person has, <laughs> has zero interest, zero interest in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Acts, acts like it is the dumbest thing he's ever heard. If you will get the truth of the gospel in his ears. That Jesus lived, died, rose again, is coming again, and, will, and offers forgiveness of sins to everyone who believes in him and repents of their sins. You have just put a rock in his shoe that will not go away. Right? That the Holy Spirit goes with that word. And even if he, if he said in your face, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard, there's a good chance that it's going to bother him when he walks away. And that's, that word is going to stay with him. That's the gospel that Peter preached. Salvation is in Christ alone. He simply went directly to his life, his death, his resurrection in our place. He's going to judge the world when he returns. But he doesn't just give them the information. He demands a response. So he tells them in verse 43 that this is for those who, who put their faith in Christ, who believes in him, receives. They're the ones that receive the forgiveness of sins through his name. So they believed, they were saved, they received the Holy Spirit, they were baptized upon their profession of faith. And I love the last sentence in the chapter. They asked him to remain for some days. They, 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 they wanted to grow. They wanted to know more. They wanted to hear more. They were changed. This is really an amazing passage. It has a lot to teach us. I don't, I don't know that I've done all that there is to do with it, but really it is a simple and straightforward passage. 
at the very least, it teaches us that even the best of people need the gospel. The best of people need the gospel. And it teaches us that Jesus has made a way for anyone to be saved who repents and believes. And Peter said, it's as if Peter said, just as Peter said in verse 34, truly I understand that God shows no partiality. Yeah, let's pray. Father, thank you for this simple passage. Thank you for the simple gospel. Thank you for the simple message that what, what we learn in this chapter, Father, is that it's two things. About, about you, that you are faithful to your word. You promised way and way back in the Old Testament scriptures that the, the God, even as far as Abraham, he would be the father of many nations. All the, all the families of the earth will be blessed through him. And here we see it happening. You're faithful to your word. You're faithful to us. You're kind to us, gracious to us. You promised that out of your own goodness and grace. We don't deserve that. We've done nothing to merit it. Thank you for the, yeah, showing us in, in this passage how it happened. I pray that as we have just a few minutes around our tables to think more about it, would you help us to think clearly? I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You got um, a few minutes, not many. Uh, the, the standard questions, what does it teach you about God? What does it teach you about ourselves? And what does it lead us to do?